Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this week we're visiting with former state senator John Legg, who's completing his dissertation on early college and dual enrollment programs. Florida is a leader nationally in efforts to provide college access to students who might not otherwise get there, but in his research, Mr. Legg, who previously headed the state senate education committee for several years, is finding the state's education systems could enhance the model so it becomes even more meaningful for teens. Let's take a listen. John Legg, uh, thank you for joining me at the Gradebook Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, you have been around education for a long time, and you've been involved in the legislature, you've run a charter school, but now you're actually studying for your dissertation in the area of college preparations, um, dual enrollment, early college, and I'd like to know a little bit about why you found this issue to be so important and why you're focusing on it. Well, thank you. Thank you for that question. Yeah, I mean, it is, to me, it's kind of the the emerging landscape of the change of education. Um, You know, what we've seen, what the literature has shown, and it's shown for quite quite a while now, is that our high schools, our secondary schools, particularly in 11th and 12th grade, um, aren't necessarily meeting the needs of, of our students, you know, in, in our global economy. And if you look at the remediation rates of colleges and state colleges, um, you know, in developmental ed and, and those issues the legislature has addressed, they're quite high. Um, and, and, you know, early college and dual enrollment and this acceleration model, different acceleration models, are a form of choice and customization, which has always fascinated me. Now, you, while you were in the legislature, talked a lot about 11th and 12th grade becoming sort of meaningless as as children start to look at taking college courses in high school. Is that kind of the direction that you're looking at now and, and discussing different possibilities? Yeah, you know, kind of what spurred this, you know, it all, it's all obviously anecdotal because, you know, I'm a father of, of, of five kids and three of them are actually out of out of college now. But when they were in high school, you know, basically once they hit their 10th grade level and they fulfilled most of their graduation requirements, not all their graduation requirements, but most of their graduation requirements, the the attention and focus on them at the high school level uh, was was diminished. And the basically what what happened is they, you know, basically phoned in uh, a lot of their last two years of school because there really wasn't much rigor or relevance to them uh, for the 11th and 12th grade. And, you know, like everything else, thought it was anecdotal, thought it was just my kids. But as, as I began to do more and more reading and, you know, you know, people can just Google, you know, high school senior wasted year. And the literature on that is phenomenal. You know, there's so much literature out there of how our high schools across our nation, not just Florida, are not necessarily meeting the needs of our students, but then yet when they go to when they go to college, their first year of college, their remediation rate's high. So they're fulfilling their graduation requirements by tenth grade, but yet their atrophy sets in. And by the time they hit college, they have to kind of go back and do remediation. So there's there's a gap there that you know as a nation we're not addressing. Um, and, and I find this a, a kind of an area to, that we can look into and do better in. 
But Florida has this booming dual enrollment program where you can get college credits for free by going to the community college or in some cases the university that's nearby. Is that not a solution or a, a good answer? No, it, you know, and, and that's you know that's a that's a great question. It is part of this solution. You know, it is part of it. You know, right now there's over seventy thousand students uh, taking dual enrollment courses. You know, and you have competing competing interests here. And, and what I mean by that is you have an escalating cost of of uh, post secondary education and. Obviously, by taking these college credits in high school, it's cheaper for families. So college affordability is a big issue. Uh, providing more options uh, uh, and more rigor is, uh, uh, is an option for dual enrollment uh, that dual enrollment provides. But dual enrollment is not the answer. I mean, there's other programs such as AP, Cambridge, International Baccalaureate. But what's so fascinating, this is why, why it intrigues me so much, is that the research is very, very clear, is that dual enrollment, when properly uh, administered, and that's that's the key, when it's properly administered with guidance, and I call it intrusive counseling, not passive counseling, but very intrusive counseling, it has a dramatic effect on low-income students. That low-income students' college access and college obtainment uh, is significantly higher. Um, but what is what is alarming, though, Dual enrollment without that structure, without that intrusive counseling, is only marginally better than regular high school classes, and it basically is high school 2.0. Um, and and so that's where the rub is. You know, to say dual enrollment is the answer, it really is. It depends. It depends on the instructor. It depends on the coursework. It depends on the counseling. It depends on the school system. It depends on the state college that's administered administering it because it's not uniform across the board, nor should it be. Um, so that that's where that's where there's great opportunity for improvement. One of the things that I noticed, and I read about this again in the Sarasota newspaper recently, is that some high schools just offer college courses and college credit right on their campuses. Now, the Sarasota um, Community College out there, I think it's called State College of Florida now, they have decided to open their own school and stop offering courses on the high school campuses. But I kind of wonder, you know, what is the value of offering those courses if they're just in the high school are they even by the high school teachers? Well, you know, first they have to be a credit. I mean, so for in order for a teacher to to teach a a college level course in high school, they 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 have to be credentialed by the state college. So, uh, you know, they have to have at least eighteen credits, uh, master credits in the subject area that they're teaching. The state college has to accredit the the teacher. Um, but like most things, you know, the quality of the instruction and the instructor varies. And the literature out there, you know, basically reflects this issue. It says that one of the problems of dual enrollment on a high school campus is the level of quality of the instruction from the instructor. Uh, because the state college isn't doing rigorous monitoring, rigorous evaluation, um, and, and the, the, that program is caught between two, two worlds, the high school world and the um, state college world. Um, but one thing that the literature is really abundantly clear on, and this is what you see Sarasota doing, and this is why, you know, I can't say it's great that they're doing uh, this. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, I'll say I'm disappointed a little that they're not letting it happen at the high school on the high school campuses because that limits access to students because of transportation issues and and access uh, in other areas. 
But what is clear is that early college programs, and that's different than dual enrollment, early college programs are structured programs that build relationships with students that have intrusive counseling that help those students select the courses that they need for graduation and their, their career. Those those students that take those early college coursework and those pro early college programs have significantly better outcomes, significantly. I mean, we're talking as high as 16 times better outcomes in terms of certain graduation rates for certain subgroups than their peers. Um, and, and those are phenomenal numbers. And so what you see uh, State College of Florida doing is they see the literature out there, which is, is, is clear, that these early early college programs are exponentially better than traditional dual enrollment programs. So what they're trying to do is drive, uh, you know, those these dual enrollment students into that type of program. And they're doing it through a charter school, as my understanding, but that they are creating themselves and calling it a collegiate charter school for high school students. Yeah, you know, it, it's pretty innovative what they're doing. So basically, what they're doing is they're they're creating their own monopoly on dual enrollment. Um, you know. And, and the reason why they're doing that, you know, and I don't know if it's for funding issues, which I think there's a little bit of that involved with it. Um, but I think the reason why they're doing it is for quality control, uh, quality control um, you know, of their program. But this, their model isn't new. Uh, you look at St. Pete College. St. Pete College has had a, a collegiate high school, and it really is an early college model where students start in the ninth grade uh, at SPC, or I used to call it SPJC. Uh, that Dr. Bill Law started, you know, over a decade ago, and it's had phenomenal results. But then again, that's only, <clears throat> excuse me, that's only one program in Pinellas, and the rest they have, uh, um, you know, in the high school. And you look at Hillsborough with Dr. Ken Atwater, what they did in Hillsborough, they have a different model, but it's shown good results. They have basically uh, early colleges within high schools, like at Lado High School, that serves primarily minority Hispanic students, which has had great results. So there's different models of this early college program. What is somewhat disappointing you know, to me is that they're limiting access at the high schools for those students that may have barriers to get into that early college program. When they do it in the high school, is 10th grade, I mean, or 11th grade, the right place to start? Because it seems like if we're talking about even the graduation requirements that the state set are 10th grade graduation requirements, and then you can start moving into the high school, into college type programs. I mean, is or is 9th grade better? Because then you're just really getting a, a into it right away and understanding the way that it works. Well, you know, what I've seen and what I've seen by, you know, in the, in the literature is really eighth grade is where it really starts. Even though they're not taking coursework in eighth grade, um, that, that's directly has uh, college credit bearing, uh, bearing weight. But in eighth grade, you're preparing them with the mentality and the skill sets for going into an early college program. But what you see, the best models that, that out there that, that in my view that have been successful are those that start in ninth grade, where they enter into the ninth grade. And, and the reason why it's ninth grade is because the academics are only one part of the equation. Because while they may not necessarily be taking college level coursework in ninth grade, they're being, they're being prepared for the, 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 the skills to succeed in the work, the coursework when they start normally in 11th. But what the, the element that is so critically important that a lot of schools miss that these early college programs succeed on is they develop that relationship. 
you have basically the same cohort of teachers following the students from ninth grade all the way through their graduation with their associate's degree. And, you know, interview upon interview uh, that we've seen is that those relationships that those teachers establish in the ninth grade and follow up on 10th and 11th and 12th grade is what they go back on. And that's why I call it that intrusive counseling that that allows them to succeed. And I, and I think it's a I think it's a great result. If this is something that's known to work, why are we not seeing it happen more often? You know, you know, that that's a million dollar question there. You know, you know, I can only give you what 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 I'm coming to a conclusion by doing the readings is that you have a lot of territorial issues. This this the you know, these students fall in the gap. You know, you know, K-12 and, we, you know, they, they, they mean they mean well by it, but they view these students as their students. And they have a particular mentality of how they service their needs. And it's, you know, it's something they've done for years. And in the state college level, they view students as a college level. They're not accustomed to working with high school students, you know, younger students. You know, I, I uh, have the analogy of like when you bake a cake, you know, you look, you open the oven and it looks like the, the, they're, they're done. But when you look on the inside, they're still gooey on the inside. And a lot of these students look like they're done. But in fact, they still have some, you know, social, emotional needs that are at a high school level that the colleges aren't necessarily equipped to, to meet with. So the, the short answer is it's a turf war. It's a turf war between colleges and high schools. And unfortunately, when the partners don't work well together, the students lose. But when the partners and the stakeholders work well together, the students and the learners are the ones that win. Um, and you see those success stories all throughout the U.S. There's, there are, it is a booming program where, you know, in Texas, uh, the, the number of, of high schools that are graduating 90% of their students, low-income minority students, with their associate's degree, are increasing. You have entire school districts now that are heading this direction. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's really about two entities trying to partner together uh, and understanding that this is a unique niche. Now, you have that interesting perspective of having worked in the legislature, and, you know, sometimes the legislature overdoes it and does too many things. Is this a case where the legislature needs to step in, or does it need to step back and just see how it evolves? Well, you know, the one thing that, you know, we've been advocating for is I, I think where they need to do is they need to create, um, and it's not new funding, they need to reallocate some of these funding models because, you know, the, as the old saying goes, you know, you know, you follow the money, you know, and if you can structure the funding models so that you reward school districts and state college on completion of, of uh, degrees and credits of these of students, You'll start to see, I think, these these campuses working together more. Um, you know, you know what incentive, funding incentive, and I mean they have the school districts have a moral incentive and they do try to meet it. But what funding incentives do these school districts have to do dual enrollment? There really isn't any. There really isn't any funding incentive. It actually is a a, a loss leader. They lose money by developing these programs because it takes more resources in counseling and transportation and, and, and re-equipping your school to do this. And at the same level, it's a, it's a loss leader for your state colleges. 
So for me, I, what I think the legislature can do is they can create basically a funding silo um, where they reward both school districts and state colleges upon completion of degrees or credits for these students. And the students will win out. Now, if you're just coming out with a associate's degree at the end of, is it at the end of high school or are we looking beyond high school a little bit? But either way, is that really the place that it stops or is that just the beginning point? No, it, you know, it is, you know, the, it, 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 it continues on, you know, and, you know, they go to, from there, they, you know, obviously will transfer to a four-year institution um, to get their, their, their bachelor's degree. So it, it takes more, um, it takes a little bit more counseling for those students because they're coming in as a junior. Uh, you have 18-year-olds, a significant number now of 18-year-olds that are transferring into, you know, the universities that are younger than their normal cohorts. Um, and if you talk to the universities, not the state colleges, they're going to tell you that change, that's a different dynamic that they're beginning to wrestle with. And how do they meet those needs of these younger students now that are transferring into their university? So you're talking about kids coming in as juniors and they are only really freshmen or would be freshmen if they had started the normal way. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And that, and that has its own implications at the university level. Sounds like we all have a lot of work to do if we want to get this process moving forward. But at the same time, you keep hearing about, you know, people pushing even at the earliest ages. Kindergartners are now doing first and second grade work. Are we just pushing kids too far too fast? You know, you know, it's I don't think dual enrollment is about pushing kids more. Um, it's about providing them an opportunity that they would not have uh, under their normal courses. You know, the reality of it is, is wealthy kids, wealthy kids who have uh, from affluent uh, homes and backgrounds, they're going to have access to post-secondary education. It's, it's just there. But your low-income students are the ones who most benefit by these early option courses in high school. You know, the dual enrollment is not forced on students. It's, it's something that students should have an option to take. Uh, and the ones that we see that have the most benefit uh, long-term are low-income students because, you know, and I, I, I just see it, you know, anecdotally and, and from interviews that I'm starting to conduct with students, they will tell you that they did not believe they would, college was in their future because they didn't have the access, knowing their first generation. But yet now that they've got an associate's degree at 18 years old, they know they can do it and succeed. So I don't think it's about pushing them. It's not about pushing them to, an, to accelerate. It's about providing an opportunity for them that didn't, didn't exist earlier. Well, John, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about this. This is a super interesting topic, and I and I hope that as your research goes on, you've learned more and share more with everyone, so maybe lots more people can experience this. Great, it's an exciting field, and uh, it's something I think uh, everyone can work work towards. So, Jeff, thank you for this opportunity, and look forward to talking again. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to join in, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Grade Book. You can follow the latest in Florida education breaking news on our blog, www.tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. Please continue to review and share this podcast with others. You can subscribe to it on Apple or Google, as well as through our new platform provider, Art19. We look forward to having more and more listeners, and please send us your ideas so we can get some of those on the air as well. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. 